Welcome to Holy Savior Sermons, bringing you the weekend sermons given at Holy Savior Church. Well, this morning as we gather, we continue the series we began the first Sunday of August. We explore what is the church. To do that, let's go to our Lord in prayer. Father God, we thank you for the gift of this amazing day, for the gift of your amazing love for us in Jesus. Holy Spirit, open our ears and our hearts that your word shapes and transforms us in your love. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. A wife goes with her husband to the doctor's appointment. He had been feeling quite ill, exhausted, tired, achy. They knew things weren't right. They'd been doing a number, series of tests, and she goes with him to the appointment, and the doctor calls her into the office and says, well, you know your husband's sick. She said he's actually, you know, he's quite sick. This is a life-altering, it's a very rare disease that he has. But we might be able to, you know, save his life. But you're going to need to make sure every morning you fix him, you know, a healthy breakfast. And same thing, healthy lunch and, and a healthy dinner. But you're going to have to wait on him hand and foot and take care of everything in the house, all the chores. You don't want him to have any stress whatsoever. Whatever he needs, you need to provide it for him. And if you can do this, for about 10 months or a year, he goes to the doctor says, you know, I, I think your husband will live. On the car ride home, the husband is eager to find out what the doctor said. And says, well, what did he say? And she turns and looks at her husband with compassionate eyes and says, you're going to die. <laughs> it's like a terrible dad joke, you know. <laughs> Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn to someone sitting next to you, and I want you to repeat these words. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> Come on now, say, I'm not going to do that. Now, because how many of you have ever said that before? You've ever said, I'm not going to do that. That's stupid. I'm not going to do that. That is below me. Like, you know, maybe when there's that pile of dishes and no one in the household is taking care of the dishes. I can see some of you going already like, oh my goodness, he's been in our house. You know, I'm not going to do that. You know, or it's something at, at work. It's, it's something somewhere which you're just, I'm not going to do that. Guilty as I spoke, huh? <laughs> I've done that before. You know, there are times where I just don't want to do that. I don't want to go into the backyard. We have a dog. I don't want to go clean things up. I don't want to do that. It's disgusting. It smells. There's flies. It's hot outside. I don't want to do that. You know, we, we, we are like that at times as human beings. Even with the people that we live with, people we are close to, we sometimes have this attitude, I'm not going to do that. I don't want to do that. That's disgusting. That's nasty. That is below who I am as a person. Well, again, we in this series have been exploring what is the church. And as we explored what is the church, you know, we, we said Jesus uses these words as he's talking to his disciples. He says, I'm going to build my church. And we said, well, what is church? You know, the word that he uses, the Greek word ecclesia, is not a, you know, fancy churchy kind of word. It just means gathering. So we said, well, what is this gathering? It's a gathering of people who follow Jesus. A gathering of people who believe that Jesus is who he says that he is. And what he came to do at the cross. 
It's a gathering of people that, you know, follow Jesus. And then last week we began pulling this apart more, saying, well, as this gathering of people, what, what is our primary narrative? What narrative shapes who we are? And we said there's kind of a number of ways people think about the church. We said, one, people sometimes think about the church like a business. But, you know, a business, the primary narrative is production. Are you producing? You can actually go to the next slide here. Ah, there we go. Like a business. You know, and it's all about producing. And while in many ways we are like a business, we have many aspects to a business, but we're not just about producing. It's not just about you producing. You know, it's much more than that. We also say sometimes the church can be like a team. And true, we do want to function like a team. We want to be unified, but a team, think about sports, you know, especially with the fall season kind of rolling out, football's just around the corner, you know, Huskers in Ireland, all kinds of things like that. That, that as a team, you know, it's all about performance. And it's easy for us to see that the church is all about performance. Sometimes we behave like we're performing for one another, performing for the pastor, performing for God. It's also about working together. But that is not our primary narrative. What we find is that our primary narrative, the way that Scripture often describes the church, is it describes the church as a family. Hopefully you remember that from last week if you were here. That we are a family. That Paul says, you know, we are part of God's household. We are part of God's family. Often when he writes the letters to the early Christians, the early gatherings of Jesus' followers, he says, brothers and sisters in Christ, children of God. Now, sometimes some Christians in some circles take this idea of family in destructive directions. But if we understand it as God shapes our understanding, as we shape and understand that it's all about presence, about relationships, us being here together in relationship to God through our faith in Jesus and our baptism. So last week I left you with a question to reflect on. I don't know if you reflected on it for more than a moment or not, but here it is again. What does it mean for me to be a part of God's family? And that's what we're going to unfold a little bit more for ourselves this morning. This gospel lesson that we had this morning from John 13, that is often the text we have during Holy Week. It's unusual, right? We're having it in the middle of August. Usually it's in Holy Week, you know, right? The week leading up to when Jesus dies on the cross, and then Easter Sunday we celebrate his resurrection. So Jesus is gathering with his disciples to celebrate the Passover meal. And the Passover meal, you know, if you remember the Passover back in the Old Testament, you know, Moses led God's people out of captivity and was leading them towards the promised land, to their future home. And God tells them to celebrate this meal, and as you celebrate this meal, you will remember and celebrate that I am a redeeming God, that I have a plan for your life, that I love you. And so every time they celebrate that meal, they remember what God had done for them. They celebrated his love and his care. But this week, you know, had been a crazy, nutty, chaotic week for Jesus. On Monday, Jesus had cleansed the temple, which means he was turning over tables, and he was getting in the face of those who were there, and he goes, my father's house will not be a place where you guys are making a profit. It is a place of worship. On Tuesday, he goes toe-to-toe with the religious leaders, and the way that they were treating the people, and the way they were portraying who God is, and God's expectations. Because remember, you know, God in the Passover, it was a reminder they were celebrating a God of redeeming love. And the Pharisees and the scribes, this was not the way they were helping people understand God. God was a God of demands and expectations. On Wednesday, 
Actually, we have no idea what he did on Wednesday. The Bible doesn't say. I <laughs> have Google. On Thursday, though, he gathered with his disciples that evening in the upper room to celebrate the Passover. And as he gathers with the disciples, they have this meal. It's kind of like the first worship service, you know, as kind of a pre-Christian because they have the sacrament. They, they, they celebrate the supper. They, they celebrate God's redeeming love. They sing songs there together. And what's going on here? Well, shortly before this, this is one thing that sometimes we miss out on. Shortly before this, the disciples, these guys that have been with Jesus for three years, watching the amazing things that he has done, you know, the healing the sick, raising the dead, hearing him teach and share about God's love and grace. And what are they doing? Well, they've been arguing about who is the best. Did you ever do that if you have siblings? Who does mom love more, dad love more? Who's the best? I imagine it was, I don't have no, I really don't know what it's like, but I can imagine, you know, John could have been like, well, you know, surely I am the best because I am the disciple that he loves. Peter's like, I'm the only one that walked on water. Only one that climbed out of the boat and walked on water. And the other guys are like, uh, yeah, but Peter, you also sank. <laughs> sank. And Bartholomew was like, yeah, what about me? And they're like, nobody will remember who you are. <laughs> they were arguing, again, who's the best, who's the greatest? And, you know, these are the guys that wanted to call down thunder and lightning and destroy cities. And Jesus is just going, oh. Do you feel like Jesus does that sometimes? I think he does that to me sometimes. Oh, James. James, 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 James. <laughs> Proud hearts. These proud hearts, and Jesus is going, guys, I've told you before, the greatest of you will be, you know, those who serve. Don't be like the Gentiles and lord it over yourselves. Know that the Son of Man came to serve by giving his life as a ransom for the world. The God loved the world so much that he gave his only son. Jesus, you know, been with these guys for three years, and there he's going again. They still didn't get it. We still don't get it sometimes. Proud hearts. Proud hearts. Jesus sees proud hearts and dirty feet. Because these guys walked everywhere. There was no, you know, Uber or there was no big pickup truck or tiny little, you know, you know utility car. There, there was no bicycles to get around. You walked everywhere as you went. And they walked, they had sandals. So when they walked on these dirty, dusty roads, guess what happened to their feet? They got dirty. And so part of the culture and the expectations were when you had a meal, the host would have a servant, a slave, wash the feet. Now remember, these guys are doing what in their conversation before this meal? Which one of us is the greatest? Which one of us, you know, should have the other wash his feet? Now, when they get their feet washed here in, the, in this culture, you know, it, it's very practical. It's not like they were getting a pedicure, you know, you know, a little file out there, clip the nails, you know, little gritty stuff to get the dry parts of the foot off and smooth. I mean, they walked everywhere. Their feet were dirty and probably kind of stinky. But you remember that when they sat down to eat a meal together, you know, we visualized the Last Supper like this big table you know, and Jesus is in the center, and all the disciples are gathered around. 
But in this culture, and in many parts of the world today still, when they would eat meals, they sat on like pillows or cushions, and they reclined. So that means my feet are going out this way in Bob's face. Hi, Bob. Bob's going, I hope your feet don't smell. And so not only was it just, you know, customary, it was customary because it was also very practical to kind of clean your feet up because as you recline, they retort someone's face. As Jesus is gathered here and having this meal, thinking about the last few moments that he has with his disciples, because, you know, within hours after this, they'll be in the garden and praying, and then Judas is going to betray Jesus with a kiss. All the disciples will abandon him. Peter will deny him. And Jesus sees, again, an opportunity to teach his disciples about what it's all about, about who he is and who they are as they follow him, who we are as we follow him. So Jesus does what? Well, let's read these first you know, words together, some two slides here. So he got up from the table, removed his outer clothes, took a towel and tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and dry them with a towel that had tied around his waist. So Jesus takes out his outer garment, has on a tunic. It's kind of like, imagine like a long t-shirt. It's what the servants or slaves would have wore. And you know, I just imagine what this is going through the disciples' heads. As they've been having an argument, which one of them the best, who's more important than the other. And then suddenly Jesus gets up, takes out his outer garment, doesn't say anything, probably just folds it there gets a towel, wraps it around his waist, gets maybe that, that basin of water that's been sitting there, pours it, comes down, and he starts kneeling at the, the feet of each of the disciples. And he starts washing their feet. Have you ever washed someone's feet before? Some of you are like, I'm not going to do that. That's disgusting. <laughs> I've done that before. I've washed my wife's feet before, you know, just to be nice, you know. A number of years ago in Poland, we had this particular scripture, and we decided as the teachers, we're going to wash the feet of our students. I'll tell you what, that was an experience. I mean, it was fun. It, 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 was, it was fun to wash their feet, but it was more fun to watch their faces because they're like, kind of like the disciples were doing. They're like, James, you can't wash our feet. That's not right. I'm like, yeah, I just come and now I'm going to wash your feet. And that's exactly what the disciples, they're all just dumb about it. They don't know what to say. They know this isn't right. I mean, Jesus is the teacher. I mean, if anyone's the greatest, it's him. And now he's coming, he's washing their feet. And then, of course, Peter, Peter being Peter, Peter's always the guy that's just going to blurt things out. He's like, you can't wash my feet. I know whether he says that because he honestly feels that. And he recognizes, like, whoa. Or whether he's like, oh, I know what to say. I will say... You can't wash my feet. I'll be the best. You can't wash my feet. And Jesus is like, Peter, I've got to wash your feet so that you are a part of me. And then, of course, Jesus, or Peter being Peter, is like, well, then wash all of me. And Peter, Jesus is like, no, no, just, just your feet. And be, I want you to be a part of me. And I, I think part of what Jesus is getting at, like, like, part of me means I want you to understand that what I'm all about is service and love. Service and love. I mean, this is a God of the universe who stepped into humanity and human flesh in Jesus. And he is serving and loving humanity. Serving and loving humanity that is broken, that disobeys and sins and does things its own way all the time. And Jesus came to serve and love. 
because he's going to serve and love within hours of this moment of washing the disciples' feet as he gives his life on the cross. This is how God loved the world. And then Jesus says these words here. Verse 15. Let's read this together. I've given you an example that you should follow. Now, there in some Christian circles, they, they take this quite literally. And so they wash each other's feet. Imagine that was what we did every Sunday morning. You should come here. How many of you would like not change socks for like a whole week just to come here with rotten, stinky feet? You know, they, they, but you know, I really don't think Jesus was saying have to wash the feet so much as follow my example and serve in love. Serve in love one another. Serve in love as I've shown you. Follow my example. Let my service and love to you shape your relationship with one another. So we talk about God's family. God's family, those who follow Jesus, we follow him and we serve and love one another. And we serve and love all others. So, you know, what does that mean? Now, how do we understand God's love for us? You know, not only his love for us, but that love that then flows out of us in relationship to others. Well, Paul does a great um, writing on what this means for us to love as God has loved us. Text you're probably familiar with, many of you, 1 Corinthians 13. We're going to go through this fairly quick and just take a quick look at some of these elements of love. First one is this. Love is what? Patient. How many of you are patient? How many of you, like me, and I, I did some research because I wondered if it was just me, after just all the tensions with politics and then the COVID thing, have been more or more impatient, have been less patient with people. The only one. <laughs> You're all looking at me. <laughs> I mean, I, I, read, man, I read some stuff, and there's studies that said, you know, we are much less patient with one another. Go to the roundabout. Somebody cuts you off. Somebody's taking things longer. The people that you live with, that you care for, we are just not as patient, yet we're called to be patient. And that patient love reflects God's patient love for us. I mean, Jesus' patient love, when the disciples were like, they didn't get it, Jesus says, I'm going to show them again what it's all about. I'm going to show them that I'm all about serving and loving them and how they are called to serve and love one another. God is patient in his love towards us, towards you and me. Love is not only patient, love is kind. Kindness kind of goes along with patience. I mean, some of us have not been very kind as of recent. I mean, not only we just naturally not always kind, but again, more recently, social media, comments, thoughts, ideas, behaviors, we haven't been kind yet. That's the kind of love we are called to, to be kind, to show kindness as God has shown kindness to us, a kindness that we don't deserve. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love isn't jealous. Love isn't envious. Love isn't saying, I want what you want. You shouldn't have that. Love also isn't jealous. Love doesn't, you know, sing its own praises. Love is in the sense of like, ha, huh, and it follows up with the next one. Love isn't arrogant. Love is not saying it's all about me. Because if God has said that, it's all about me. If Jesus has said that, then we'd be in a terrible predicament spiritually. But our God said, it's not all about me. It's about you and my love for you. My love for you is what enabled me, what pushed me, what called me to step into this world and give my life for you. 
So this love isn't arrogant. This love also isn't rude. Again, patience, kindness. Again, I think about the world we've been living in more recently. I mean, we've probably all been a little more rude. But it's a love that shows care. It shows affection. It's considerate of others. It's a love that doesn't think about itself. I mean, again, think about God's love for us. God's love for you. Did God think about himself? No, when God said, I'm sending my son into the world, when Jesus said, I'm going to die on the cross, he wasn't thinking about himself. He was thinking about you and me and every human being that has ever had the breath of life. Love also isn't irritable. Again, patience and kindness. Um, Yeah, I don't like this. I, 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 I'm not going to read 1 Corinthians 13 anymore. It's too self-convicting sometimes. It is an irritable. Love also keeps no record of wrongs. We're not here keeping a tally of things that people have done. I don't know if you've done that recently. Well, they posted this. Or they said this. They did that. They didn't do that. They said, I'm not going to do that. So, well, if they said that, I'm not going to do that. We keep no record of wrongs, as God keeps no record of wrongs. So we're going to confess our sins in a few moments, and we're going to hear God say, your sins are forgiven. No record of wrong is kept. And verse 8 says, love never comes to an end. Because our love, our love is shaped by God's love. And God's love for you is unending. As we talk about being a family of God, this local family of God here at Holy Savior, we are called to serve in love. And as we serve, we serve not because we have to. We serve in love. So we talk about living in this community, in this world, as we make a difference in the lives of people in this community and world, we do so in service and love. The service and love that we have in Jesus that shapes our narrative, our lives. And Holy Savior, we talk about growing in Jesus and sharing his love. So, you know, if we're going to grow in Jesus and share his love, we're going to grow in that love, grow in our understanding, grow in how that love shapes our lives and share that love. So a question for you, another question for you to think about, challenge you as you go into this new week is this. And then read this one with me. Who can I serve and love by following Jesus' example? That's a question that you can answer. I pray that God will place on your heart this day. Let's pray. Lord God, we give you thanks and praise for the gift of your amazing love. That, Lord Jesus, you served us by stepping into our world, by going to the cross. You loved us by giving your life for us at the cross. May that service and love that you gave shape us individually, shape us as families, shape us as a congregation, as a family of believers here at Holy Savior. We pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. For more information about Holy Savior, including service times and location, please visit holysavior.org. Thanks for listening, and until next time.